Okay, friends, and the story begins. We are on page 13 of the Siddur. We are continuing part two of the Akeda, the Binding of Isaac. We're smack in the middle of the page. The Hebrew says, Vayikach Avraham. In the English, it's literally the middle of the page. Abraham took the wood for the offering. <coughs> Let's recap. Avraham, Abraham was given 10 tests by God. This is test number 10. Avra, God is told, uh, tells Avraham that he, he should take his son, his firstborn son from Sarah, the son that he loves, and bring him up as an offering. Avraham does it enthusiastically, which was the biggest deal. The big deal was not so much that he was willing to offer his son, although that is a big deal, but that he was willing to do it enthusiastically. And he saddles his donkey and everything, and he's ready to go. Right? Let's read inside over here. Um, middle of the page. You guys got it? <coughs> Abraham took the wood for the offering and put it on Isaac, his son. He took it in his hand. He took in his hand, sorry, the fire and the knife, and the two walked together. Right. Then what happened was Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he answered, here I am, my son. And he said, here are the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, Isaac is picking up on something. Something's kind of fishy here. Abraham never told him what this journey was all about. He said, we're going to bring an offering to God. Isaac wasn't told that you are going to be that offering to God. <laughs> and Isaac says, wait a minute, you have a knife. You got wood for a fire. Where did the lamb go? What's going on here? <laughs> so now Avraham has to come up with a response that is not going to scare his son away. So Avraham answered, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two walked together. There's a classic commentary known as the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar one of my favorite commentaries. He's great. He's really great. It's a lot of fun. Great explanations on the Torah. He goes through the simple explanation, homiletic explanation. It's a lot of fun. And here's the way he explains it. Yitzchak and Avraham are walking toward this offering, right? Again, they left Yishmael and Eliezer, the two lads, as referred to in this passage, left them behind together with the donkey. They said, we'll be back. And Isaac doesn't know that God was told Abraham bring an offering from Yitzchak. <coughs> so Yitzchak is thinking to himself, there's this panic. What is about to happen? Has my father gone mad? Has he become cruel? Is he crazy? What's going on? So what does he do? Let's look back at the text. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. Right, that's it. He didn't ask any questions. He just said, my father. He wanted to see how Avraham was going to react. Was he going to react as a father? Or was he going to react as some sort of cannibal? <laughs> Avraham passed Isaac's test. He reacted as a father. He answered, here I am, my son. 
in the Hebrew, it sounds much better in Hebrew. Vayom, right adjacent in the middle of the page. Vayomer Yitzchak el Avraham. Yitzchak says to Avraham, Aviv, his father, Vayomer, and he says, Avi, my father. Vayomer, and Avraham responds, Hineni vimitni, I am here, my son. So Yitzchak says, okay, great. He's not crazy. He's not a cannibal. He's still my father. He still loves me. Yitzchak real so so the Yitzchak realized. Okay, if he's my father and he loves me, he's not trying to kill me. He's not trying to harm me. So now I can ask, hey, what's going on? Now he says, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the lamb? Avraham says, that's God's business. In other words, I'm about to do whatever God tells us to do. Yitzchak is relaxed, right? There's a commentary, Rabbeinu Bahaya. Here's Rabbeinu Bahaya points out. You have two phrases that appear. You have a phrase that appears twice. It's the same phrase, and it appears twice in the same exact uh, passage. It says the two walked together twice. Why does it say it twice? Do you see it? Can you find it where it says it twice? It's within a couple of sentences from each other. Avraham, I'm going to read the sentence again, and we'll point it out. If you like writing in your book, you could underline it. Avraham took the wood for the burnt offering, put it on Isaac's son. He took it in his he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two walked together. That's once. Then Isaac spoke to Avraham, his father, and said, "My father." And he answered, "Here I am, my son." And he said, "Here is the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" Avraham answered, "God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And again, time number two, the two walked together. Why does it say it twice? So the commentaries point out the first time Yitzchak had no idea what was going on. Of course, he's going to walk together with his father. But once he suspected, wait a minute, there's something happening and it's going to involve me. Abraham's going to bring me up as an offering. And he understands that Abraham is doing this according to God's command. It says again, and they both walked together, giving extra credit to Isaac. The first time they walked together, no big deal. He didn't realize what was going on. Once he realized what was going on, and yet he still walked together with Abraham. He still went along with it. That's a big deal. There's a big, um, there's, a, there's a debate. Who's greater, Isaac or Abraham? Abraham is sacrificing his own son, which is a big deal, but he was told to do so by God. Isaac is going along with it. He didn't hear God tell to Abraham. You know, Abraham could have said to Isaac, God told me to do this. Isaac could say, well, he didn't tell me to do it. <laughs> Isaac still went along with it. So it's giving him that uh, credit, if you will. Uh, John. Yeah, so on the one hand, we know, we know later that God actually will provide a lamb coming out of the thicket so um but at this point abraham doesn't know that because it's a test so when he says to i you talk god will pride himself a lamb is he lying okay good question 
maybe it was like an unconscious prophecy. But what, <laughs> what he was saying is God will provide himself for himself what he needs as a lamb. In other words, the lamb is, he, I think he was using the lamb more euphemistically as an offering. If God wants a lamb, there'll be a lamb. If he wants something else as a lamb, um, so be it as well. Just, it, it in Hebrew, it says like, God will show himself a lamb. Just seems like if, if I was trying to trick somebody <laughs> and say, ah, well, don't worry. We're not, we're not going to be sacrificing you with, there'll be a lamb. Don't worry. He, he, he did allude to it. it. It was a hint. It's interesting why Abraham didn't just say it outright, but I, I do also want to point out Isaac was not like a little baby being abducted. How old was Isaac at this point in time? Was he in his thirties? He was 37. Was he 37? He was, he was 37, right? It was three years later that he married Rivka at age 40. We know that he married her at age 40 and she was three. So he was, which is another discussion for another time, but <laughs> he was 37 at this age, at this point. He, he was willing to go along with it because he had faith in prophets. In this case, his dad. Avraham had faith in God. Yitzchak had faith in prophets. Those are both two important virtues, values. Those are two, by the way, core principles in Judaism. Maimonides enumerates 13 core principles of Jewish faith. 13 core beliefs. There's a lot of beliefs in Judaism. There's a lot of things we believe. But there's 13 beliefs that are fundamental to Judaism where Maimonides maintains were somebody to not believe in any of these 13 um, you could consider them a heretic and one of them is the belief in prophecy belief in God is the first one of course but belief in prophecy is one of them and we see two of those in this passage Abraham believes in God Yitzchak believes in the prophets of God believes in Abraham but there's something here I'd like to point out because I think there's a powerful lesson here. Yitzchak is kind of perturbed, disturbed. What is going on here? So what is his solution? He says, my father, he calls out to his father. And his father responds, here I am, my son. And now he's relaxed. They're willing to walk together. There's times in our life where we're walking and it's like, God, what are you doing to me? <laughs> As if God is going to, our father is trying to slaughter us euphemistically, you know, not literally, but try, like, what is going on? So learn from Yitzchak. Call up and say, my father, God. And you know what he's going to say? Here I am, my son. I'm with you. What Abraham told Isaac was, Yes, there's something fishy going on here, but there's a bigger plan. There's a purpose here. You might not yet see the purpose, but there is a purpose, a deep, meaningful purpose. And Yitzchak had that faith. And when we experience God saying, yes, I'm with you, when we get, get ourselves to feel that, that God is with us, 
we'll be able to muster up the courage as Isaac did, have the faith to keep on going in this journey, on this purpose. Um, let's read the next part. We are, they reached the place. Do you see it? About 11 lines from the bottom. 11 lines up from the bottom. They reached the place which God had told him. Anybody know what this place refers to? It's where the, um, the, the temple would eventually stand. Exactly. They were in Jerusalem. In the exact place where the temple would stand. In the exact place, it says Abraham built an altar there, right? Translations are a little dangerous. I'm going to refer to the Hebrew here. Um, right adjacent where it says, Vayavau. About 10 lines from the bottom as well. 10 lines up from the bottom. Vayavau el hamakom asher amaloha elokim. They came to the place that God told them. The place referring to Jerusalem. Avraham built doesn't say an altar. Translations are dangerous. Commentaries point out it says the altar. Avraham built the altar. It's referring to a very specific altar. The Midrashim point out it's the altar that Adam sacrificed with. It's the altar that Cain and Hevel, Adam's sons, Sacrificed with. It's the altar that Noah sacrificed with. It's the altar that Noah's sons sacrificed with. Avram is carrying on the tradition of bringing sacrifices on the same as Be'ach in the same exact spot. There's something unique about that spot. Isn't, isn't this also where Jacob's ladder was? Yes. Right? Holy grounds. Holy grounds there. 100%. So now, Abraham, where are we? <coughs> okay, so they reached the place which God told them. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood, bound Isaac, his son, and placed him on the altar upon the wood. At this point, you can imagine Isaac knows what's coming. Right? He's hoggy tied <laughs> on an altar on top of wood. Then Abraham stretched forth his hand took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he answered, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand upon the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you are God, a God-fearing man, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In other words, it was a test. Don't do it. Stop. Don't hurt the kid. In the 1700s, There was a lot of tension between the Hasidic movement and uh, other Jews who were kind of weary of this new facet of Judaism. Judaism is supposed to be traditional, not progressive. And when progressive, when things come up in Judaism that may seem progressive, it gets scary. The truth is the Hasidic movement was not progressive at all. There was nothing new about the Hasidic movement. It was just 
uh, the Hasidim were just re-emphasizing things that have not yet been uh, emphasized for some time, but it certainly did not innovate anything in Judaism. But it did seem innovative, especially as uh, the things that were being emphasized, such as Mashiach, the soul, the spirituality. The um, This was not too long after the whole fiasco of the false Messiah, Shabtai Tzvi. So the people were very weary. And the group of Jews who were caught were weary of the Baal Shem Tov's Hasidic movement were known as Misnagdim, opponents. And again, this was not political. This was all ideological. Is this movement right? Is it falling? Is it is it following uh, Jewish tradition, Torah values, or is it just purely innovative? Inspired by the Enlightenment, it certainly wasn't. Right now, there are no real misnagdim. There's no real opponents. And Hasidic Judaism is a facet of mainstream Judaism. But at the time, there was a lot of tension. They wanted to, the, the group of misnagdim wanted to put a ban on the Hasidic movement. A halachic ban. The way a halachic ban works is you go to a based in and you do what's called a chayvim. A chayvim means a halachic ban. Basically signing the based in the rabbinical court and all the judges of the court signed that nobody could do business with these people. Nobody can count these people for a minion. There's very severe cases where we would put halachic bans on people. If somebody was really evil, say, okay, nobody do business with a person. Don't count them as a minion. So they wanted to do that. Is that like when um, somebody refuses to give a get? Yeah, so that's one situation where if somebody, God forbid, were to refuse to give a get, it's considered a for, to be a form of abuse to withhold the divorce document and, and lock somebody in to a relationship forcibly. There would be a halachic ban and they, the Bayesian would sign on it and nobody's supposed to do business with them, don't count them in a minion and, and exclude them, uh, excommunicate them, if you will. <coughs> so they wanted to do that to Hasidim. They came to Rav Chaim Velazhin. Chaim Velazhin was a prominent scholar and, and leader um, amongst the Misnagdim, amongst this group. And Misnagdim, eh, Misnagdim, Rav Chaim Velazhin refused to sign this ban. They asked him why. So he said, take a look at the binding of Isaac, the situation. God tells Avraham, go bring your son to me as an offering, slaughter him. But who tells Avraham not to do it? Wasn't God. God sent an angel. Right? God sent an angel to tell him not to do it. An angel called out from heaven, Avraham, don't do it. Why didn't God? God is the one who told him to do it. Shouldn't God tell him not to do it? So he said there's a powerful lesson here. Only God could tell you to hurt somebody. But even an angel could stop you from hurting somebody. I'm not God. <laughs> I'm not going to allow you to hurt people. <laughs> this is not a necessary ban that I'm not going to allow you to hurt people. The reason why I bring this story is because it gives context to this uh, and insight to this passage here. God tells Avraham, slaughter your son. Yet an angel has the authority, this messenger of God, to say, don't do it. 
and it kind of reminds us of having the sensitivity of we can always stop harm to induce harm. You got to be God. And if you're not God, don't do it. But to stop harm, anybody can do it. Okay. What was the reason why he should not slaughter his son? It was a test, right? What was the whole purpose of this test? The angel concludes. The reason why you were tested in the first place? Now I know you are God-fearing man. I like the word revering better. Now I know you, for the for the, the word yira. Now I know you revere God. The whole purpose was to see if you revere God. Abraham risked his life for God. <laughs> was willing to jump into a furnace for his faith for God. Was willing to preach God to everybody. He didn't revere God up until now. Now I know. Abraham epitomized the trait of kindness and love. That, that's who he was. Right? Isaac epitomized the trait of discipline and reverence, but Abraham epitomized the trait of love and kindness to the point that his door of his tent, he had four doors on his tent, always wanted guests, always wanted to give. Even the third day of his circumcision, which is supposed to be the most painful, although I don't know if we remember that, it's supposed to be the most painful. He was willing to sit outside in the heat of the day waiting for guests. That's when the three angels came and told him that Isaac is going to be born. He epitomized chesed, he epitomized kindness. But God said, wait a minute. <laughs> this relationship is just about love. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to last. When relationships have love but don't have reverence, they're not sustainable. It doesn't work. Because love needs to be focused. The nature of pure love, if you could love something good, you could love something bad. Because love is just a drive. That's what love is. It's a positive drive towards something. And if it's not focused by respect, if it's not balanced by respect, it's not going to be put into check. And we, we studied this when we, in our Tanya class, going back to chapter 41 of Tanya. The beginning of service, the beginning of the relationship, the core is respect. Then you can love somebody. You can genuinely love somebody. If you have love without respect, you don't love the person, you love yourself. I love how I experience them. Which means the moment... I don't appreciate the experience. I will direct my love elsewhere. But if I respect you, so now my love can be focused and fine-tuned, uh, aimed in the right place. And God was saying, Abraham, you epitomize the trait of kindness of chesed. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to work. Show me that you revere me. Show me that you respect me. Show me that it's not just about love, but that there's respect as well. It's not just about the, the, the inspirational experience, but that there actual that, that there's reverence too. I, I, this is true, I believe, in every relationship. It's certainly true in our relationship with God. The Zohar says, 
that the wings of the bird, the wings of our service that carry it up our love and reverence can't just have a flap with one wing. It doesn't work, right? I think it's true in a marital relationship. I think it's true when raising children. Got to love our kids unconditionally. But we also have to discipline them. Can't just let kids do what they want. You can't just discipline them either. There has to be love. There has to be a relationship. There has to be this balance. Now, what that balance is, perhaps could be a whole lengthy discussion depending on the nature of the relationship. But once the angel said, now I know you revere God, it's not just about love. It's not just about the good feeling experience. There's more to the relationship. Good. Don't slaughter your son. We got what we needed. You showed yourself. You proved yourself. You proved yourself. And you know what Abraham did? He internalized this. He, inter- he got to the point where he wanted to bring a sacrifice, not from Isaac, on his own. Because take a look. Keep looking at the sentence. Uh, the next sentence. Do not lay your hand upon the lad, nor do anything to him. For now, I know you are a God-fearing man, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Thereafter, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Commentaries point out. He looked up and saw a ram. The implication is it's not that he heard a ram. Oh, there's a ram. He was actually looking for a ram. (laughs) Why was he looking for a ram? After passing this test, he internalized within himself this deep desire to bring an offering to God. To the point that he felt the need to look for something else to give God. When we pass our tests, what we'll internalize is a new drive, a new passion. Where God doesn't have to tell us what he wants from us, we're going to look on our own and say, what can I give? Okay, we'll stop here. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.